Hey everybody, before we get into the show, I wanted to let you know we've got another live show coming up. We will be back at Maya Cinemas on Thursday, May 23rd for Furiosa, the latest in the Mad Max series. We are so excited for this one. Joining me to talk about it, we've got Sam Novak, Shahab Zargari, and Tony Gonzalez. A great lineup. It's going to be an awesome movie. We are so excited to talk about it. So make sure to check the show notes. There are opportunities to win tickets. You could also buy tickets. And we hope to see you there Thursday, May 23rd, 6 p.m. at Maya Cinemas for Furiosa. Alright, welcome to another episode of Piecing It Together, the podcast where we take a look at a new movie and try to figure out what movies inspired it. And today on the show, we are talking about one of my most anticipated movies of 2022. It is Alex Garland's latest film, Men, starring Jesse Buckley and a whole bunch of Rory Kinnears. And uh, joining me to talk about it, we've got filmmaker Bradley Andrew returning to the podcast, and we got a lot of great puzzle pieces to talk about. You know, Alex Garland projects come up on the show a lot as puzzle pieces, so it's no surprise that there are just a ton of things to talk about when talking about his movie. So uh, yeah, great conversation coming up here in a second. Before we get to it, I do want to remind you, as always, to make sure you're subscribed to Piecing It Together wherever you listen to podcasts and and follow us on social media at PiecingPod. Join our Facebook group, Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces. Don't forget to check out our Patreon, the Produced by David Rosen Patreon, where I post bonus and advanced content from Piecing It Together. Actually, this episode's going up on the Patreon as soon as I uh, hit stop and hit export. So this will be up there before it hits the main feed. And you may be listening to it then, or you may be listening to it once it does hit the main feed, which will be timed to when it hits streaming or rental one of those two things uh but yeah you can check that out also lots of great content from awesome movie year and from my music career it's patreon.com slash by david rosen check it out so with that said let's talk about men All right, Bradley Andrew is back with us to talk about alex garland's men bradley how's it going Going great, David. How are you doing? I am doing great, and uh, I'm, I'm wondering, all men, Bradley? Is it all men? I, I think it <laughs> Apparently is. Apparently so. Yeah, I, I, I think it's a pretty accurate statement, but um, you know, <laughs> we, we'll talk about the movie and about uh, what questions are being asked here, but you, know, you had requested to join me on this one a long time ago, so I'm assuming you're a big Alex Garland fan. Yes, absolutely. I've been a big fan of his since before he was even directing films. I've been a big fan of his since back when he was, you know, writing novels, screenwriter, and just ever since he's starting directing his own scripts. It's just been, each film for me has gotten better and better and better. So I was looking forward to this one. Ever since I had heard it and announced, I was just so, so excited for it. Just everything he does, it seems to just, his style and evolution as an artist and as a filmmaker, Mm-hmm. More so, you know, more than just being a writer, I, I feel like he's just moving into uh, stranger and more esoteric work, but just evolving and growing as an artist. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's also kind of cool for this podcast itself because Annihilation was our first episode of the show. And so to finally be returning uh, with another piece of his work and another film of his i mean obviously ex machina has come up as a puzzle piece a lot of times on this right, show so right. there's no shortage of talking about alex alex garland but to finally get to cover another of his movies is pretty great but yeah i mean we'll talk about you know everything about what works and what doesn't work as we're going through the puzzle pieces here but uh let's just start jumping in what do you have for your first piece okay so for my first piece i figured i would get it out of the way I know it comes up a lot on the show, but <laughs> my first piece is going to actually be the original Evil Dead film from 1981 by Tim. Nice. The reason I bring the film up, there's one shot in the film, and I'm sure you know what I'm talking about, where mm-hmm. he definitely uses the Raimi point of view shot, you know? Sure. And 
I was just so intrigued by that when I saw that. I instantly thought, Raimi, Evil Dead, is Alex Garland really doing this? And I was reading an interview on, in Fangoria where he actually uh, brought up the Evil Dead. So I felt, you know, felt justified in bringing it up. Nice, especially right yeah. off the bat. I'm wearing my Book of the Dead t-shirt. So oh, I felt yeah. right away had to bring it up. And, you know, that one shot. And I just remember in the interview, Alex Garland just going, this shot feels very familiar. Oh, we're doing the Evil Dead, of course. So I thought that would be a great piece to bring up right off the bat, and then just the isolation of Ash in the cabin, and then this character in uh, Men almost feeling isolated in this countryside home, despite being in a village full of citizens. You know, there's there is a bit of an isolation to the film from the point of view of the character. So I felt that also meshed well with the evil dead. Absolutely. It's also, I, I, I had it on my list as well. I mean, I think it's completely warranted here. I mean, y- you Absolutely. also have this, this place that's supposed to be a, you know, a place of like relaxation for the weekend or whatever, and turns horrible almost immediately. I, another, another parallel, you know, as soon as they're going over the bridge, you like kind of realize like, there's no way she's going to be able to leave this place. Like right, this is no turning back. Yeah. There's just somehow she's not going to be able to leave. And whether that's going to be supernatural or from people that are going to actually just stop her there, there's going to be no way out of this situation. And so yeah, you get just a lot of evil dead there, but yeah, absolutely with the shots and and there, there's so much of that there so i'm glad you brought it up so i didn't have to but uh cer- <laughs> certainly on my list as well so well, great that we both had it on there i had to just bring it up first to get it out of the way it's- absolutely absolutely so uh i'll go to another piece then and i'm gonna go with jordan peele's us okay you know a different kind of home invasion type of thriller with something more supernatural on its mind something that is happening but is weird and kind of unexplainable um you know there's a lot of visual cues here that you know none of this is like it's not like the old you know oh she was crazy or something like that or like she's imagining it like there are things like you know spoiler alert but we'll get right to the ending here where we find out that uh you know the the sister is arriving and she's about to find out everything that happened and we know that everything that we just saw unfold really did basically happen in the world of the movie it's not like in her head so it's like a real event, but it's just super weird and crazy. Right. It's like take, right. taken, to, taken to this totally different, over-the-top, insane level. And uh, also plays with a lot of things that... Uh, current like automation home automation like controlled lights and and security systems and all those kind of things that us that jordan peele really expertly played with in that movie even though i didn't think us was super successful as an overall story i think it really worked as far as like playing with those things that we all have in our home and using that to to up the terror factor of everything going on Absolutely. That's a great piece, and I completely agree with that. And I think Alex Garland actually does that a lot, too, a lot of his work. You know, a lot of his work is set in the uh, our current times, so he definitely does play around with that, with technology and our fear of technology, the unknown of technology, the evolution of technology, where we're going with our technology. And mm-hmm. I feel like he plays with, he juxtaposes that with the natural world, in nature and especially in this film and uh it doesn't you know it's not as prominent in this film i mean i think the only piece of technology we really see maybe is a cell phone but it definitely features a lot in his work and i think it there's definitely an, an anxiety in his work about technology and social media and all these types of things where we're heading in our future i think he has a lot of anxiety about that i think he's neutral on a lot of us heard him say that all of these technological tools are neutral with about the user and whether that be person or supernatural force whatever it may be artificial intelligence you know it's it's definitely something that comes up a lot in his work so i think that's that's a great piece to have honestly awesome well uh what do you got for your next one my next piece is um a recent film it's uh david lowry's the green knight okay and the reason i specifically bring this piece up is um the green man mythology Mm-hmm. which is a character throughout mythology that the Green Knight is sort of a reference to um, and the esoteric symbols that we see throughout the film. 
they really referenced uh, a lot of that same type of mythology, and especially towards the end with the, uh, the character that is supposedly stalking her throughout the film. I feel like that's a direct reference to the Green Man, and it just ties directly into the Green Knight. I feel I thought that they had a lot of similar ideas about kind of mythology and folklore, that type of thing. Even mm-hmm. though the Green Knight is more of a epic fantasy, it still has that mythological, that esoteric mythological feel to it with um, all the symbols and everything throughout men. I feel like, you know, and the ending directly tied to that, um, that mythological uh, green man. So I thought that was a great piece to bring up. And it's also A24. Yeah. So that kind of tied in nicely with that. Yeah, it's actually almost surprising that, like, you know, obviously there's plenty of jokes in Facebook groups and stuff like that about, you know, right. whether A24 makes the movies or, you know, just distributes yeah. them or whatever. Yeah. But it is it is funny that they would have so many movies come out, like one after another after another, that mm-hmm. have those kinds of representations of of these folklores or of religious symbolism or, or, or uh, actual symbols. And yeah, I had on my list Midsummer, um, which right. I guess I'll just jump to, which, you know, just to be telegraphing some of the things that we're going to be seeing later on in the film with various uh, imagery and churches and, and carvings and those kind of things. That's such a motif through all of these A24 horror films. It's just so strange that they would kind of lean into that in a way. But, you know, aside from that, though, I mean, you do have this character who's going to this uh, small village and literally nobody can be trusted so you know you get a lot of that in, in the way that uh things play out in midsummer as well uh and you know a lot of clues being kind of peppered throughout that may or may not lead to anything like you could you could kind of just be picking out little clues that you're seeing whether it be from the characters or things within the world that uh the characters are inhabiting but they might actually just be kind of red herrings just to throw you off which is something that i felt a lot with midsummer and i feel is being played with here in men as well where you know there there's a central story here about this woman i mean we might as well just mention it her husband has killed himself or as he you know and yeah. she has feeling a lot of guilt over it and goes on a retreat and all these men who may all be the same person are basically torturing her and not letting her uh, deal with her, with her grief. And are those things actually tied to any of what's happening to this character? It's, it's kind of hard to say. Right. And just, it speaks to the power of those symbols and the mythology of, these stories that are told through folklore and things that, you know, they're still cropping up in film, art, you know, music, all that still permeates our culture that far removed from those times. So it just, I think it speaks to the symbols, like I said, and the mythology of those, those characters that we see them cropping up in so many different artists' work, you know, I, I think with like Midsommar and The Green Knight, now men, you know, it just, like I said, speaks to how powerful those, those folklores really truly are. Absolutely. So what do you got for your next piece? So my next piece would actually be something I heard Garland talk about, which uh, uh, intrigued me when I heard him bring it up as one of the main influences on this film. And it was uh, Attack on Titan, mm-hmm. which he's said in multiple interviews that was the main influence. And I was very curious about how that was an influence. I'm, I'm aware of Attack on Titan. Haven't seen a lot of the, uh, the anime, but I'm very aware of what it is and the imagery that it conjures when you hear the title. And like I said, I was just intrigued where exactly he got the influence for it. And when he explained vaguely where it came in, it totally made sense mm. with the ending and everything. It just And one of the things I found interesting that he said was Attack on Titan takes place and this world that feels slightly almost too absurd or too it's so strange that it's almost you can't believe it it's right you know, the true meaning of surreal almost you know where it's it's almost ridiculous it's so strange to the point where it's almost ridiculous but it pulls it off and mm-hmm. i feel like the film as a whole with that it's a film that it's almost so hard to believe like, did I dream this film? Like, it's so wild. It gets so yeah. wild towards the end. It's, it has yeah. that same, tr- it's truly dreamlike. And I definitely got what he meant when uh, 
she was talking about Attack on Titan because at first I was just like, wow, that's very interesting. I wouldn't have guessed that, but you know, the way he talks about it, and I'm just paraphrasing on what he said, but something similar to that effect is just that pushing that ridiculous to the very end of where the extreme it can go and just seeing if you, you can pull it off. And, you know, I personally think he pulls it off. I think with each film, he's been pushing further and further and experimenting more and more. And I think he definitely pulls it off more so than not. And that's, yeah. a, that's a good piece to bring up because I know a lot of uh, a lot of younger film fans are uh, big on anime. And I thought that was an interesting piece to bring up that was brought up by Garland himself. Uh, just anime in general with the, the imagery, a lot of anime. There's a lot of anime that conjures that kind of horror imagery. So I thought that would be good to bring up. Yeah, and I, I've seen him mention it, and I haven't actually watched any of Attack on Titan either. But, you know, speaking to, you know, those reasonings that you brought up for for probably why he's bringing up Attack on Titan as an influence. I, I don't know if you saw my letterbox review of this, but I, I mentioned mm-hmm. that I, I feel like he took the end of Annihilation and was like, I want to sidestep into horror. Like, how can I get to an ending <laughs> as insane as that? But that's more horror than sci-fi and yeah. kind of reverse engineer his way back from there. And so I feel like that uh, idea mixed with kind of just the weirdness of some of these anime, like like Attack on Titan, probably kind of gets you there. You know, it, it kind of bridges the gap a little bit. Yeah, just that nightmarish imagery of seeing something that you can't believe is real and just it is that, you know, then, you know, like in Attack on Titan. And I've seen, a, I think I've seen, I'm not sure how many there are, but they have a live action Attack on Titan films. And it also ties back into the Green Knight with the Giants, the scene with the mm-hmm. Giants. You know, it all ties together right there with just this imagery you're seeing and you just, you just can't believe what you're seeing. I, I definitely yeah. felt that through men all the way through. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and speaking of that insane imagery, we might as well bring it up. Um, in, in the conclusion of this film, the men, which, as we mentioned, are all played by Rory Kinnear and all look similar, just little different you know, touches to each one of these people. They start birthing one another. And right. it's like this insane sequence through the last 30 minutes of the movie uh, and just really over the top, gory, just crazy uh, creature effects. Reminded me a lot of John Carpenter's The Thing. Absolutely. Have it on my list as well. Um, which will be my next piece. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's like the number one, I think, for this movie. Even though the overall story is about so much more, you know, a, a, about right. men and women and all these things that are that this film is about. I think the number one takeaway you're going to get is like, holy shit, that was a crazy last 30 minutes. Absolutely. And, yeah, you, you haven't really seen like creative mutated creature design like that since the thing really i mean that's kind of the gold standard for that it's no coincidence that it's the 40th anniversary for the thing as well so i had that on my list and you know to go with that i had cronenberg just in general also you know crimes of the future is coming up Mm -hmm. everyone knows him as the king of body horror so i kind of had the thing specifically from carpenter and just cronenberg in general with just that body horror imagery it's it's something you don't see every day, and you know, it's definitely something that I feel like um, Garland would pull from because I feel like a lot of people I've seen a lot of people criticize his film and his films in general, his work in general for him thinking maybe he's smarter than his audience, or but you know, listen to several interviews with him, and he's you know, he's someone who appreciates genre cinema. I think I think he likes to deconstruct and toy with genre and try to push it into areas it hasn't gone before and that may turn some people off. But I do think he's someone who appreciates genre cinema throughout. You know, he just tries to push it. So I definitely could see him uh, appreciating the thing. And I've never heard him talk about the thing specifically or Cronenberg, but, you know, I I could see those being right up his alley. So I think that the thing is an absolutely uh, fantastic piece to bring up. And I'm pretty sure the thing came up, I mean, it's so long ago at this point, but in our Annihilation episode, I, I have a feeling I probably brought it up. Back that would then. make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, real quick, before we get to your next piece, have you seen this weird, I, I don't want to call it reevaluation, but a lot of people basically trashing Alex Garland lately? Like, Yes. I, what is going on? Like, why is it that when a filmmaker, you know, has a new movie coming out, everybody has to just pile on all of a sudden? 
Yeah, I have been seeing that a lot lately. Um, I actually saw some of it today, which, you know, this type of film is very polarizing, and I get that. And it's specifically this film. I feel like this is his most polarizing film that he's directed. I know a lot of people didn't dig Annihilation, but I feel like there's a backlash for this film, even within film communities of people just piling it on. And I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. I mean, this is kind of a provocateur film. Like he's really, he's going for it. Absolutely. But you know, you have to respect that. You have to respect the ambition. You have to re respect the artistry and you have to respect people pushing that because if you don't have artists pushing that within cinema, we're just going to keep getting the same film over and over again. And you know, you yeah. can tell the same story over and over again, but you can do it in new and interesting ways. And I think, you know, he really, he really tries to do that. So, I, I, you know, I, the hate that he's getting, I mean, even like I said, if you don't, I, I totally get people not liking this film. It's definitely one that my fiance saw it with me. And she was just like, this was interesting. I appreciated it for what it was, but it's definitely my least favorite Garland. And I understood mm -hmm. that wholeheartedly. Yeah. I still don't know how I feel about it. I saw it probably like a week ago. And I still just don't know how I feel about it. I'm a little torn myself. You no, know, I. <laughs> I definitely feel like I loved it, but, you know, it's one of those things you have to process. And I think with a filmmaker like Alex Garland, he's one of those filmmakers who you can have a, a reaction, an instant reaction from the theater. And, you know, you're going to have one, but I think he's a filmmaker who you need to sit on. And, you know, if you truly love cinema and care about cinema, you know, you, he's, it's, it's good to just sit with these films and, you know, have films that, Maybe initially I didn't like that grow on me over time. And I think that's an important thing yeah. about cinema in general. Just art in general is just to live with it and respect the artist and just, you know, open yourself up to things that, you know, may make you feel uncomfortable. And I know this film probably definitely makes a lot of people feel uncomfortable. So I, I, I do get that. Yeah, for sure. So what do you got for your next piece? Okay, so my next piece would actually be another recent film, and it is Ben Wheatley's In the Earth. Sure, yeah. Um, I was actually a big fan of that film when it came out. I feel like it kind of got forgotten about a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. I think it got kind of dumped at the beginning of uh, last year. And uh, just that folk horror all, all day long. And, you know, Ben Wheatley, another English filmmaker, another filmmaker who likes dipping in the genre, doing interesting things with genre, and just, again... Like I brought up with The Green Knight, there's just so much esoteric imagery, just the ritualistic nature of some of the characters in that film, the strange rituals they commit, mm -hmm. and there is a bit of, slightly bit of body horror in the earth. Just the nature of the film itself, um, I feel like, you know, it would be a good pairing with uh, men. Certainly just, you know, that visionary type of film where it just hits you. You know, I felt... When I saw In the Earth in the theater, it was just like I was immersed in the film completely, you know. So I, I felt the same way with Ben, you yeah. know, just solely based on that immersive quality. That Ben Wheatley, he's more hit or miss uh, with me. I like pretty much all of his stuff. I don't love everything he makes like I do with Garland, but I do feel like he's a filmmaker in that same vein that every time he comes out with a film, I'm always there day one to see it. I'm always interested yeah. to see what he's doing, even though I... I think he's shooting like the Meg 2 right now, which I'm very <laughs> interested to see. Weird yeah, choice. he's another one of those guys that just, he hops, a, he seems to hop around a little more within genre. I feel like Garland sticks to sci-fi and horror. I mean, he's mm. done other things. He's, you know, with Dread, you know, you have a bit of action movie there, Never Let Me Go. You have a, a drama. But yeah, I thought In the Earth would be a great piece just for that surrealist folk horror imagery and just, uncompromising vision of Ben Wheatley. I think that goes nicely with someone uh, like Alex Garland. Yeah, that's a great piece. I, I hadn't thought of it, but now that you bring it up, I would also connect it with the uh, really inventive, weird sound design and score. Absolutely. Um, you know, Clint Mansell did all kinds of insane things with that score, like sampling the sounds of plants and shit like that. And yeah. uh, J Alex Garland collaborating again with uh, Ben Salisbury and Jeff Burrow. Uh, for another weird one. Yeah, I wanted to bring them up for sure. Yeah, yeah. They're, I love like they're probably one of my most influential film composers at the moment right now for my own work. So definitely, and they also tie back to Ben Wheatley because I think they've done a few films with him. I know they did Free Fire. They did some work on Free Fire and maybe High Rise. 
maybe the only two, but I know they mm-hmm. work with him as well. So that ties back to being Wheelie. Yeah, and I completely agree. And it also ties, I believe they scored a Black Mirror episode, mm. which, uh, you know, Rory Kadir, he was, he's, um, a lot of people know him from uh, Black Mirror as well. I actually wasn't too familiar with him because uh, I've never seen Penny Dreadful, but I heard it's great. But I did recognize him from, of course, uh, Black Mirror. So I think that ties back nicely to that as well with uh, Jeff Barrow and uh, Ben Salisbury. So. Nice. Well, when you brought up The Evil Dead, uh, I could have jumped right to my other most puzzle-pieced uh, movie on this show and bring up Darren Aronofsky's mother. Uh, but I figured I'd yeah. give the listeners a little break, but I'll do it now instead. So yeah. It's on my list you know. as well. Yeah, it, it kind of has to be. I mean, for a movie like this that's so just weird and then in the thir- last 30 minutes just goes complete batshit. Um, but also, you know, kind of a twist on the home invasion horror subgenre, also filled with religious symbolism. Of course, Mother has a lot more because that's right. kind of the whole point. Uh, but here we get a little little bits and pieces of it like the garden of eden adam and eve kind of stuff the apple and all that so there, there's little bits of it and the stuff that happens at the church but yeah overall though just the feel of the movie of just going from weird to holy shit over the top weird yeah it has that anxiety inducing feeling when you're in the theater and mother was a touchstone film i had seen a few people mention before i went into the film so i was you know expecting that and yeah i wasn't I almost had an anxiety attack when I saw Mother back in 2017. Like, I was just on the edge of my life. That, I'm a big fan of that film. I'm a big defender of that film. Yeah. And uh, I went in with those expectations. I didn't really, I wasn't as bothered by men as I was by Mother, but it's definitely on that same level of, you know, it just gives you so much anxiety in the theater. And, yeah, all the thematic pieces, you know, add up and everything as well. So, yeah, just it's, it's just that honorary piece that you got to bring up. And yeah, specifically for this film, it's, it's the film I saw mentioned the most when people were trying to describe men by using yeah. other films. You know, I saw Mother brought up almost every time. So definitely one you have to throw in there for sure. I think so, too. So uh, what do you got for your next piece? So my next piece is actually specifically based on the soundtrack. And um, ever since I saw the film, I've been listening to the soundtrack pretty much on repeat, which is what I do commonly with uh, those guys, especially when they work with Alex Garland. So the piece I wanted to bring up is Cairo. It's a Japanese horror film from 2001. Uh, It's widely known as Pulse in America. It was actually remade. Like I said, specifically just for the soundtrack, Cairo is actually a ghost film uh, set in Japan, of course. And it does have ties to technology and just how, you know, the film may come off as dated to some people because it's kind of at the beginning of the internet boom in the early 2000s. I think it's a very effective horror film still because it deals with the afterlife and technology and how we evolve as humans alongside technology and basically what the afterlife looks like with technology around and how we kind of come accustomed to technology evolving alongside humans and it's just a a lot about isolation so there are some themes within the film that tie to men i feel like but mostly it's just that soundtrack it just has those that nightmarish quality with the there's like a you know this there's a lot of voices in both soundtracks yeah a lot of things being done with the human voice uh, ethereal voices just it just if you if you listen to a couple tracks from Cairo, you could definitely put them side by side with some of the um the soundtrack pieces from uh, Men. And I, I you know I heard Alex Garland talking about how they manipulated uh, Jesse Buckley's voice as well with you know the scene with the echo and everything. So I think there's some some echo in throughout the film that you not sure if you're hearing or if you're just it's still just echoing from earlier in the film because the film gets so weird so i think they used that type of technique throughout the score just to kind of you know kind of mess with you while you're watching the rest of the film but yeah solely based on the soundtrack i would recommend cairo but it's it's actually one of those horror films it's just it's one of my all-time favorite horror films it's just so creepy it's so the atmosphere is so strong and it's just such a oppressive film as well i feel like man is certainly one of those as well yeah. So, um, like I said, not a lot of thematic. You could find thematic similarities between the actual films, but you know, just 
just that that soundtrack. I just love a good horror soundtrack. And when you just put it on, and it's just it gives you goosebumps. I feel like uh, Men, the soundtrack to Men, definitely definitely has that those qualities. Nice. Yeah, I haven't listened to it on its own yet, but uh, yeah, like I said, I, I love their work. Highly recommend. Uh, I'm, I'm going yeah. to. Yeah, I, I I would say uh, honestly, Ex Machina and Annihilation scores are two of my most listened to of the. Uh, Rock is also uh, very good. Yeah, you heard Rock. Uh, no. Uh-uh. Rock is a, a little bit of a tangent, but it's the unreleased soundtrack that they did for Dread. It wasn't okay. used, but they actually released it under the collective title Rock. And it's a, it's fantastic, especially if you love the Xbox and the soundtrack. It's somewhat similar to that. It kind of predates it, of course. But uh, yeah, if you definitely dig those guys and that work, then you'll you'll definitely love Drock for sure. Oh, I'm gonna have to check that out. Absolutely. Uh, well, I'll go to another piece, and uh, you know, back to the main storyline with Jesse Buckley's character having just you know experienced this trauma, now uh, kind of being tortured by these. I guess, manifestations of men uh, that are, you know, weird, but there, but not real feeling, but it's all kind of just happening to her. I thought of It. I thought of Stephen King's It. Really Stephen King in general, but Mm -hmm. like the idea that there is this thing that kind of feeds on you know, the person's specific fears and the person's specific traumas. And uh, can you really explain why it manifests in the way it does? No, you simply can't. It's just, that's what happens in this particular movie. So this is, you know, you're not going to get a specific answer as to why it looks like that or why it can do that. But it just is this thing that comes out and is really cool horror movie magic but you know it's really there more so to kind of create the point of the whole thing absolutely yeah that's very i wouldn't have never thought of that on my own but now that you you're you're describing it like that definitely can see that correlation between those nice just that abstract manifestation of fear almost you know what it's almost you know like the characters the fears are manifesting through these i don't even know what to call them are they <laughs> are they men? Are they creatures? I mean, right. It's hard to say. Yeah, it's hard to say. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, and of course we're you know two men talking about it, so exactly. that also that exactly. also makes it a little bit different. So you know, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which will tie into my next piece, but let's go to your next piece first. Okay. Well, my next piece is um, "Hour of the Wolf" by Ingmar Bergman from 1968. I don't know if you're very familiar with Bergman's work. He was certainly prolific, um, mm-hmm. titan of cinema, you know, godfather of this type of cinema, art house cinema. Um, Hour of the Wolf is widely considered one of uh, the only Bergman films that's horror. I mean, I find a lot of his films horrifying in mm-hmm. certain regards, but this is the one that people always go to as the one horror film Bergman made. And, uh, you know, it's, it's it's probably my favorite Bergman. I haven't seen everything by him, but it's definitely one that's very has a lot of very strong imagery in it. Very abstract. It's a black and white film. Um, it's uh, you know it it's, it has a lot of the similar things about it's about an artist couple who isolate to this uh, place in Sweden. It's just it's definitely an experience. It's one of these films where just they isolate to this house similarly and. Just all this weird, all this weird stuff just starts happening out of nowhere to them, and it's just it just builds and builds and builds and builds and builds until it just gets to just insanity, and it just yeah. Uh, me and certainly what's giving me those vibes, and I feel like you know Garland is someone like I said who is a student of genre cinema, but he's also someone who studies. I feel like he studies world cinema, and I see a lot of uh, Tarkovsky in his work too. Mm-hmm. Even though Tarkovsky never really made anything that explicitly horror, I feel like the scenes just of there are scenes in this film where Jesse Buckley's character is just walking through nature and absorbing that, and I I really felt some Tarkovsky influence from that as well. Just those two world cinema masters, you know, I just feel like that DNA is just ingrained in Alex Garland and just pretty much most filmmakers today have that ingrained in them, even if. You know, they don't want to admit it, but yeah, right. I, I feel like specifically Hour of the Wolf would, would be a good piece, but just Tarkovsky in general, just for that poetic look at nature and just the juxtaposition mm. of the natural world with the ever-changing world as we go through time, you know. 
So I sure. felt like there were two two interesting pieces to bring up in the film. This you know polarizing to bring up two uh, kind of titans of not only cinema but world cinema. So I thought that would be sure. Kind of yeah. Are you familiar with Hour of the Wolf? You know, I, I'm familiar with the uh, with the movie. I've never actually seen it, but like mm-hmm. I know of it. And I would imagine that it is a, a pretty big influence on like most of our puzzle pieces here today. Right. <laughs> you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. So absolutely. yeah, it, it, it's like you could draw that line between it and 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 a lot of the things we've talked about, Mother yeah. and you know, yeah. even Evil Dead and the thing, yeah. like all these kind of things that just ramp up that craziness right up to the end in a uh, isolated place. You know? Absolutely. So awesome. Uh, I will go, I'll go to my next piece, which is, um, I would say my biggest kind of gripe with men. I'm going to go with promising young woman as, as okay. my next piece, which another movie that explores the, you know, is it all men, you know, like, like right. you know, what is, you know, what is going on with men, you know, right now. And, and, Another movie that I feel like doesn't necessarily have an answer for that. You know what I mean? And yes. yeah. the, the question of why is Alex Garland making this movie is something that kind of weighed over this whole movie for me. And I don't know how you felt about it, but like, you know, certainly he's an artist and he can make whatever movie he wants. But I, I by the end of the movie, and it's been now four days since I've seen it and I've been sitting with it and thinking about it and I still haven't figured out why is he making this movie? And it, I kind of like, it's a little more obvious why Emerald Fennell made Promising Young Woman, but uh, it still doesn't really get anywhere, I would say, by the end of right. the movie. It just it just kind of happens, and it's like, well, that that was that, you know? And I kind of feel the same way with men, and I, I don't know how you feel about that. I definitely can feel that. I definitely feel where you're coming from. Um, pretty curious about how this film came about with Alex Garland. Um, I know I've heard him say before that most of the things he works on, I don't know if this is just for the films he's directed or the films he's written in the past, but he usually starts with a theme of something. He just gets so obsessed with it and just so obsessed that over time he just, you know, just churns, 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 churns. I think with something like Annihilation, he has the book as a jumping off point. And, you know, he's exploring self-destruction. That's kind of the thing he's obsessed with in that film. And I'm, you know, I'm just very curious about why he got so obsessed. I mean, it's easy to see, you know, why he would be obsessed with something like toxic masculinity. But just, you know, curious what pushed him over the edge to make this film and to make it this visceral, this intense. And uh, like I said, you know, it is interesting. I know he has another film already in production called Civil War. Mm-hmm. Just based on that title, I can only guess. What yeah, the sure. It's going to be about and you know, current landscape we're in. So he's not, you know, it's not exactly subtle, but I, I do think sometimes that you know, you do need something this intense and just this in your face. As to whether he should be making films about this, I mean, that's not for me to say, but I do appreciate, you know. And making a film like this, whether he should be allowed to or not, I think he should be allowed to make what he wants as an artist. Absolutely. You know, we can have the conversation on whether or not it succeeds or not. Um, ultimately, I do think he succeeds. You know, maybe not 100%, but like I said before, I would rather an artist have those intentions, just go for it. You know, I'd rather see filmmakers try something new and fail rather than just the same thing over and over again. So. Yeah, someone willing to experiment, a filmmaker like him willing to experiment, I'll always give it a chance. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of talk lately about like whether like the Me Too pendulum is going to start swinging back the other way, especially with like the Johnny Depp Amber Heard case right right now and everything, and like you know maybe this movie keeps the conversation going, even even if it's uh, not a hundred percent successful for some people, it at least keeps it in the ether and keeps it as part of the public conversation right now. So I, I think there, there's definitely uh, definitely a reason for it. Uh, it's just a matter of whether or not that reason is fully uh, expressed in a way that everybody is going to accept. That is that is the question that you know we'll see as people continue to watch this movie. So absolutely. So uh, what do you got for your next piece? So my next piece actually came to me almost right after seeing the film, and it's not a film, but it is a music video. It is Come to Daddy by uh, 
Apex Twin, directed nice. by Chris Cunningham. Pretty obvious why I chose that, as you know, the whole you know uncanny valley-ness of Rory Keener's face on the child's body. <laughs> sure, That's just you know that nightmare fuel just just straight up reminded me of that that specific music video. Just Chris Cunningham in general too, with his nightmarish imagery. He's always a guy I always. Would like to see more like a feature film from him. I always loved his work in music video and just some of the design work he did and everything. And he's one of those guys that I feel like Garland, he has such a singular, strange vision that, you know, it's such a shame that he hasn't done more. I just, you know, would love to see him do more and just, yeah, just that specific music video, just the energy of that, the creepiness, the uncanny valley of those children's face on a grown person's body. It's just, there's something uh, inherently creepy about that, and just that's one of the things that stuck with me in this film is just that that kid, you know, with that face. I was like, oh my god, <laughs> so haunting. <laughs> I think just there's something about the way they did it too. I don't, I'm not sure entirely how they did it. You know, it looks pretty CG to me, but something about it is just super. It's even more creepy, like that to me. You know, this this, this has it almost doesn't. You know, it doesn't look real, but I think that's part of the point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, I think, uh, left for you to question whether or not all these people really do look the same or if right. it's just kind of how she's seeing them all. And yeah. so, yeah, it definitely, that definitely fits there. But uh, yeah, I, I only have one other piece, um, and it's kind of a more of a jokey piece. It, it, it could have uh-huh. went, al- went along with uh, Midsummer earlier, but, um, you know, we're, we're in this this small British town full of weird British people. I thought of hot fuzz. Um, ah, <laughs> you know, absolutely. Working together for the greater good. Uh, of course the, the, pa- the patriarchy. So, uh, you know, uh, maybe a little, uh, jokier, but, uh, you know, same kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I had heard a conversation between, uh, Alex Garland and Edgar Wright. I think it was back in, 2014, 2015, I think Edgar was interviewing him about Ex Machina. I can't seem to find the interview anymore. It was like an audio interview, and they talked about a lots of great things. I think they talked about Walter Hill and Garland's mm-hmm. love for people like Walter Hill, which I can definitely see in his work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was a fantastic conversation, so that ties in nicely there with uh, Edgar Wright. Nice, nice. Right. Um, well, uh, do you have any other pieces you wanted to bring up? I do. I have a few I could run through. There's one specifically that I'd like to give more time to. Not a lot of time, but it's actually a, a novella by Don DeLillo called The Body Artist. Okay. It's uh, from 2001. It's 128 page. Very short. I might even be able to read that one. Yeah, it's, it's excellent. <laughs> um, Don DeLillo is just one of those writers who just, you know, he just conjures up just such strange imagery. But, you know, it's the thematics of it's about a performance artist who moves to an isolated type country house uh, after the suicide of her husband. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's just, I don't really want to spoil the book for you, but it's a very, very similar setup to uh, men. And it just gets very wild and it has a lot of very similar imagery in it and just the thematics of it, I thought, were uh, interestingly similar. I don't know if Alex Garland's ever read it. I'm sure he's a Don DeLillo fan, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just, it's a good, breezy read. It's very strange. Uh, Don DeLillo is a great writer. I'm a big fan of his. I know uh, one of his novels, White Noise, which is one of his more famous novels, is actually being adapted right now by uh, Noah Baumbach. So sure, hoping yeah. we get some more uh, adaptations of his work out there. But he's one of those great American writers who just, you know, his work, I think it may translate as well. I think there is a adaptation of The Body Artist. I feel like it's a uh, French film. I feel like uh, there's a French adaptation. I've never seen it, but hmm. it's definitely one that I would uh, recommend checking out if you if you like this type of thing. You like Alex Garland, and uh, it ties very well into uh, the themes and uh, imagery of uh, this film particularly. Awesome. And then the uh, other pieces I had, they're just more general. Like I had um, survival horror video games just as, in the general sense. I know Alex Garland is a big gamer himself. He puts a lot of references to video games in his work. He's even said that 28 Days Later was inspired by him playing Resident Evil. Mm. And, uh, you know, just, I just got vibes from 
like Silent Hill and sure games yeah. like that. Just the atmosphere, just like I said, uh, the survival horror video game genre as a whole, the folk horror genre as a whole. I mean, you can just go through countless films, you know, through folk horror, just that atmosphere he brings to it. Just those two in general, and the only other piece I really had as a whole piece was a uh, 2020s. I'm thinking of anything. Actually, Jesse Buckley. I really think she's, you know, that was the first thing I really remember seeing her in. I thought it was such a fantastic layered performance, but she does so much in that film. And, uh, like, similarly, she does in this film. It's very subtle, but just the range she has in this film and that film and, you know, the thematics between both, you know, I feel like Charlie Kaufman and Alex Garland are two people who come from a similar I wouldn't say headspace, but just the way they approach the material. And I know that Alex started as a writer. He started as a novelist. I think, you know, Charlie started as a screenwriter before he moved into directing. So I think that's an inter- interesting correlation between those two, these two guys who started as writers and moved into directing. And they both direct these, you know, surrealist, Head scratchers, you know what I mean? And you could sure. also connect Anomalisa to it as well with Tom Noonan's character in Anomalisa where he basically voices every character in the film outside of uh, David David Thewlis and Jennifer Jason Leigh. So kind of a reverse Anomalisa, you know, outside of the voices you have the faces in this film. Yeah. But I, I thought there were two interesting uh, correlations. And of course, bring up Charlie Kaufman on any podcast because it's sure. always great. So, but, you know, you know just simply Jesse Buckley just you know just the choices she's making right now um with the film she chooses is just excellent i feel like and uh really excited to see where she goes oh yeah she's one of my favorite current actresses right now Absolutely. she's so good yeah by the way anomalies i think i mentioned it on our trailer episode when we mentioned men um oh, because that same that reason sense. yeah i i completely forgot about that but that is uh, uh totally totally makes sense for having like one actor that is playing all these characters in mm-hmm. such a creepy way you know <laughs> yeah i actually had a question i wanted to pose to you um i was reading a, an article with alex garland recently where he said that you know he has done so many films back to back, and um, he was thinking about retiring from directing and just going back to writing. Mm. And I thought it was interesting, you know, interesting to go back to that. Um, so I was curious, like any filmmakers you would like to see, kind of if he did do that, take on some of his um, his his work. Are there any filmmakers out there that you would like to see him collaborate with, like as a director? I know he worked with Danny Boyle mostly before becoming mm, a director, but sure. are there any contemporary filmmakers out there that you think would mesh well with his his writing? I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Brandon Cronenberg. Uh, after Absolutely, seeing Possessor right? a couple of years ago, that that I feel like would really fit. Maybe you know we talked so much about how how many A24 vibes this movie has, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I mean maybe one of those like an Ari Aster or, or like you know somebody. Uh, Oh, what's his name? I'm drawing a blank. It comes at night. Trey Edward Schultz. Maybe okay. a, maybe like a Trey Edward Schultz or something like that. One of these kind of like uh, filmmakers that does like weirder, more uncompromising kind of things that, you know, are not too invested in whether or not the audience likes it necessarily, right. you know? Yeah. And I really hope he doesn't retire from directing. Like I said, I know yeah. he, I don't, I don't know if you saw devs. It was a series he did in 2020. Yes. I thought that was absolutely fantastic as well. Loved worth mentioning. Yeah. Um, yeah, the filmmaker that, you know, I kind of put him up there with, I don't know how much of a fan you are. He's doing a lot bigger. You know, his work has gotten a lot bigger and bigger, but Denis Villeneuve, um, mm-hmm. you know, recently we had Dune. I think they kind of exist on similar planes. Of yeah. course, Denis, he works, He's working on larger budgets right now, you know, with Dune. But, you know, after he's done with his, uh, hopefully we get three Dune films. But I would love to see him go back to something smaller, something more grounded. And, you know, I could definitely see um, him uh, being interested in doing something scripted by Alex Garland. He actually, you know, I was listening to another podcast where he was, he had mentioned uh, Alex Garland as one of the uh, contemporary filmmakers he's most excited about. So, I thought that would be, you know, something very interesting uh, to see. You know, I'm a big fan of both of those guys. Um, they're two of 
you know, contemporary filmmakers, English language filmmakers, I would consider two of my top favorites. Yeah, I would definitely love to see a collaboration between those guys. I think that Garland could really push uh, Villeneuve to do something interesting that he hasn't done before, you know, and just get back into that that space. I know he has a lot lined up um, after Dune already, but yeah. I would definitely love to see that collaboration happen. I think that they, you can only get interesting results from that. Yeah, that would be a great uh, example. And it's a really good comparison, too. I mean, they're both, like, big idea filmmakers right. who also love to use big scores. So, um you know, big use of music and sound design and all that stuff. So, uh, yeah, for sure. I think Denis hasn't written. I, you know, I think he helped uh, do some screenplay work on Dune, but ever since his early films, I, I think he's kind of adapted a lot of other people's scripts. So I think, you know, it would be interesting for him to work with a writer that's so much of a filmmaker themselves outside of just being a screenwriter, someone, you know, I would love to just see that. You know, it could be too much but <laughs> yeah, yeah it would definitely be an experiment i would like to see for sure too much of a good thing well right. uh I'll, I'll read down our finished puzzle list here and then we'll uh, wrap this thing up but uh in talking about men we talked about the evil dead us the green knight midsommar a lot more a24 as well uh attack on titan the thing david cronenberg in general in the earth mother cairo or pulse it uh, Hour of the Wolf, Bergman, Tarkovsky, bunch of that stuff. Promising Young Woman, the Come to Daddy music video by Apex Twin, Hot Fuzz, The Body Artist, Survival Horror Video Games, and Silent Hill, bunch of folk horror as well. Uh, I'm Thinking of Ending Things and Anomalisa. And uh, yeah, I mean, we, we were kind of getting into it while right there while talking about, you know, his potentially retiring from directing and just writing again. But are, are there any other like things you wanted to mention about men before we uh, wrap it up? No, I think that about does it. I would just, you know, recommend people see it. I would love for, you know, it to make money, you know, it's not going to be everything everywhere all at once, but I, I would just tell the audience just to, you know, give it a chance. If you don't agree with it or you don't like the ideas it's presenting, just accept it move on, you know, there's no need to, you know, pile onto an artist. I mean, we really need filmmakers out there to be, just be pushing the themes and just the evolution of film. We need more original voices out there and we need these films to do well. So I, I just say support um, independent cinema, art house cinema, just as much as you support mainstream cinema. And I think that's very important. Yeah. And if something is weird in a way that you didn't want it to be weird, that's right. a good thing. <laughs> don't be mad about that yeah you, know? you cannot agree with the filmmakers but I, I think you know you should always put that first and you you know if you want original films you should support them so i think you know even if you think you may not like it or you end up not liking it at least you're supporting uh that type of cinema at the end of the day you support it more the more we'll get of uh original voices by alex garland so absolutely well uh bradley is there another movie you watched recently you'd like to recommend to our listeners so specifically, I uh, tied. There is a excellent documentary on Shutter. It's a, a history of folk horror, Woodlands, Dark and Days Bewitched. It's on. Uh, uh, I heard I that's, that's great. The title. Um, yeah. yeah, it's the documentary on folk horror, the evolution of it throughout cinema and just literature and everything. It's it's fantastic. So I thought that was tied nicely into into men for sure yeah that's on my watch list i really want to watch that um it, it looks really cool and especially with how much of this like you know we've, we're just getting such a wave of things influenced by the whole folk horror movement and yeah so it, it seems like something worth watching uh, especially for someone like me who makes a podcast about what things are inspired by so it's definitely a great <laughs> companion piece to a lot of those films i would if, if you're a fan of that type of thing you would definitely i would definitely recommend it. and may you know you may see some films on there you've never seen it may introduce you to some older films that um, are worth your time. You know, it's always good to have a show like this where someone can bring up a piece from a film maybe no one's ever heard of or an obscure film from the past. Maybe, you know, connecting something like a Bergman film to this film could get someone to, you know, dive into Bergman and they may find their next favorite film. Yeah. Hour of the Wolf is moving to the top of my uh, list after today's conversation. So I got to watch that soon. I think you'll definitely enjoy it. If you, if you <laughs> like the type of intensity that men is, I think, I think you'll be able to appreciate it for sure. Awesome. Well, uh, Bradley, why don't you tell people again where they can find you and all your work? 
I am on all social media. Um, probably the easiest thing to do is just find me on Facebook. I'm in the Popcorn and Puzzle Pieces group. You can find me there under my name, Bradley Andrew. All the links to my other social media, Letterbox, Instagram, Twitter, on my Facebook. You can also follow Refuge Films on Facebook. That's a production company I'm involved with. We just released a feature not too long ago, The Awakening of Will. It's doing the festival circuit um, currently, and um, I did some editing and sound work on that film. It was directed by a best friend of mine, Stephen Adam Rinkovich. I'm also currently writing a comic series. I'm looking for a publisher right now, but I'm currently still working on that. It's called Virtual Graveyard. If you're into a lot of the films we talked about here today, you probably dig it. Um, like I said, I'm looking for a publisher, but always working on exciting, interesting uh, films and art, trying to just get things out there in the world. So yeah, uh, always interested to talk to people, new people about films and everything on social media. So yeah. I'm there to talk. Awesome. Well, Bradley, hopefully we'll get you back again sometime to uh, talk about another movie. Hope so. Hope so. This was great. Hey there, classmates. Tune in to Middle Class Film Class every Monday and Wednesday for weekly movie news, streaming picks, and one deep dive review. The Batman trailer. There was a teaser. There was a trailer. Trailer one, trailer two. Final trailer. I don't know if it's the same one. How many trailers do we need exactly? Leave an email or a voicemail to join in the discussion. Bullshit artist! Uh, <laughs> yeah, buddy! All right. awesome. You're going full Danzig. Right, I am. My, my trans you have no power over me. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I hope you enjoyed that conversation about men. Thanks to Bradley Andrew for joining me on that one. And thank you to you for listening to that one. Uh, if you're enjoying what we do here on Piecing It Together, of course, make sure you're subscribed wherever it is that you're listening. But also, if there happens to be a five-star button, we'd appreciate it if you'd hit that five-star button and maybe leave us a little review. You could do that on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Good Pods, Podchaser, and probably a bunch of other apps. But those are kind of the big ones that you know everybody knows to leave reviews on. And yeah, we'd really appreciate it if you did that. You could also follow us on social media at piecing pod join our facebook group popcorn and puzzle pieces where we continue the conversation about all the movies we talk about here on the show and i told you at the top of the show about our patreon the produced by david rosen patreon i'm just going to remind you i won't do the whole spiel i'm just going to say if you really want to support what we're doing here sign up it's patreon.com slash by david rosen so uh, let's close this thing out with a piece of music, and, you know, we talked during the episode about the awesome uh, Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury score uh, there, who scored Alex Garland's other films. I've mentioned many times over the years about how big of an influence they are on my work, and last year I released a film score called The Dissection Table, which their work is specifically an influence on that soundtrack that I made. And uh, the film, as I've discussed before, never actually came out, unfortunately. But the soundtrack is available to listen to. It's on iTunes and Spotify and all those places. And you can check out the whole soundtrack on all the streaming services and on my website, bydavidrosen.com. I'm going to play a track from that, which again is very heavily inspired by the people who make the scores for all these Alex Garland films. And this track is called Cadman. And again, it's from The Dissection Table. Hope you enjoy it. We'll be back with more Piecing It Together real soon.
an All Points West production, produced by David Rosen in Las Vegas.